I want to take a break from the podcast right now and I want to give you a gift. I don't want to do that to thank you for being a listener. I put my heart and soul into this podcast. I love interviewing today's experts, researchers, MDs, psychologists, sleep trainers, you name it. I just, I hope you feel inspired to take care of yourselves and your families. And I just want to thank you for, for being a listener and hanging out with me. So the code podcast10 is going to give you a one-time $10 off code at kellylevesque.com, your next order of protein powder. You can either use that on my grass-fed beef isolate protein or on my new vegan chocho bean protein. Now, here's what I love about my protein powders. It's three ingredients or less. So we don't use fillers, emulsifiers, no fortified vitamins or minerals. It's easy to digest and naturally made without any enzymes or chemicals like hexane. So it's three ingredients. With my grass-fed beef isolate, that's 100% grass-fed beef, and it's made in the way that you would make bone broth. So just heat and water. And we dehydrate that end product to get that collagen-rich protein powder that your whole family can drink. It can be added to coffees, to smoothies, and you can get it in vanilla, chocolate, and unflavored. I wanna point out that my vanilla and chocolate is made with organic vanilla bean, organic cacao, and the only sweetener used is organic monk fruit. We don't use any maltodextrin. Our monk fruit is 100% ground monk fruit, and it's organic. And with my vegan line, I'm so excited to have launched this and to have it out into the world. It's a regenerative bean from South America called the chocho bean. And the chocho bean is the most superior plant-based protein powder you can get your hands on because not only is it a complete protein, but the process is made with heat and water only. They're crushed and soaked, and what that end product results in is an anti-nutrient-free protein powder. So you're not gonna have any lectins, phytates, or oxalates in your protein powder. Makes it super easy to digest, and it's really, really delicious and robust in cooking as well. So I love it if I want a thicker smoothie or a smoothie bowl, and I also love it in my baked goods, from my cookies to my muffins, pancakes and breads. It's the perfect protein addition. So if you wanna give either of these proteins a try or you've already been purchasing these proteins and wanna take advantage of this special deal, the code PODCAST10 is gonna get you $10 off for being a listener here at the Be Well by Kelly podcast. So head to kellylevesque.com or bewellbykelly.com Put the protein you'd like to purchase in your cart and use the code PODCAST10 for $10 off. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. We start off with like reducing stress and it was, it's been so successful like that point and really giving parents tools around that point of what is your job here? It's actually not to force feed your child to like hold their nose and make them eat food. And when we give parents training around that, then all of a sudden parents are like, oh my gosh, my life has changed because now I have less stress. Jennifer Anderson is a registered dietitian and has a master's of science in public health from Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. In 2017, she founded Kids Eat in Color, a resource that helps children and families have better nutrition and mental health. Prior to starting Kids Eat in Color, she coordinated youth nutrition programs at a food bank, performed research in inner city food deserts, and consulted for the USDA. Her academic background is in public health, nutrition, cultural anthropology, and economics. It's a pleasure to welcome Jennifer to the show. Jennifer, welcome to the show. I have been following along now. I was just telling you before the show, at least a year, but 
eating up all the kid food content now that Sebastian's three and a half and Tashin is one and a half. So I just can't thank you enough for being a voice for parents and what feels like, probably you get this compliment a lot, a really approachable voice and a realistic look on being a parent and serving, trying to serve your kids a balanced plate. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm really excited to get to know your background. So what got you excited about becoming a registered dietitian and how did you end up specializing in kids? Sure. So um, I became a dietitian. Um, it really, that decision started after I worked at a food bank coordinating youth nutrition programs right out of college. And I decided that I wanted to do it long-term. I went back to grad school and eventually long six years later, I ended up with a master's of public health and also becoming a registered dietitian. I knew that I didn't want to do clinical work. I knew that I didn't want to follow like a traditional path, but then I had kids. My first child fell off the growth chart and suddenly I found myself very interested in child feeding. (laughs) And so that's where Kids Eating Color came from. It really started as me with a three-year-old frustrated thinking, I cannot be the only parent who is struggling feeding my child. And it turns out I wasn't, I started on Instagram and now of course, Kids Eating Color is a, a very large resource for parents off Instagram, um, providing the courses that, you know, the blogs, like all the things. And, and I think that just speaks to where parents are at. Like, it's hard. It's hard to feed kids day in and day out. It's not an easy, it's not easy. I was like, I'm a dietitian. Why are you falling off the growth chart? This is not allowed. <laughs> Looking back on that time, can you like walk me through like where you were emotionally and where the birth of kids eating color. Like when you look back now, were there things that you thought you were doing right that maybe you weren't doing right or things that you've learned since, you know, you were so worried about your son falling off the growth chart? Sure. So looking back, I realized that really no matter what I had done, the same thing probably would have happened. <laughs> kids kids do their things. And um, so, but I, I have, I felt guilty. I felt bad. Are there things I would have done differently and things I could have done and different things that I could have fed him this or that? Yeah, I could have done lots of different things. I think now that I'm, I'm eight years out from that, I can kind of step back and say, well, He's going to be a human one way or another. And that means life is not going to be perfect. You know, whether that one little tweak I would have done would have caused an extra centimeter of growth. I don't know. (laughs) There's no way to tell. Because I specialized my knowledge really quickly in child feeding when he was, you know, like nine months old, it really set the stage for my second child who's very selective really get the benefits of everything that I did trial and error with my first one. So that was, that ended up being great. And looking back with him, and now that I kind of see the, the breadth and depth of picky eating, I can really say, oh my gosh, I know where he would have ended up if we hadn't have been using these best practices the whole time. Is he still picky? Yeah, he is. But I know as a dietitian, I know he's doing okay doesn't have the widest palette and but he is 
competent, he can eat, he can go places. And we have just essentially been living feeding therapy for all of his six years of life. And he is competent. And so I can say, okay, like I know the, the, the methods that we teach aren't ever going to make your child, like a magical non-human. Yeah. (laughs) That's not real, but they can make a difference. They can make a difference for your child. Oh, definitely. I feel like as moms, we live in this perpetual, like guilt, shame, shoulda, coulda, woulda. But Um, I mean, like the most amazing and like freeing thing is like, oh yeah, well, hopefully he'll be potty trained by college and hopefully he'll try, you know, maybe he'll give that sushi roll a try on his like third date with his wife when he's like 45 or something, you know, know. like you just kind of, you kind of have to let some of that go and really just like it, it, clouds the fun of parenting when we mm-hmm. try to control or, um, but a little bit of strategy, I think goes a long way. Like I see it with my clients when it comes to blood sugar balance, like a little bit of strategy about what they should put on their plate to support blood sugar balance. Not like here's a PDF of what you can't eat, but mm-hmm. just like a little bit, it's like bumpers on the bowling lane. And then we feel like productive adults, like, Oh, mm-hmm. look what we can do. And I think that's what you're doing with kids eat in color is that you're giving parents these bumpers on of how they can and best in practice tools on how they can support their kids and their feeding journey. So can we talk about some of those best practices and what worked for you and your family and some of your clients and, and students in my research of an understanding of picky eating and preventing picky eating. It's like exposure and modeling, exposure and modeling keep coming up in the research for me. You know, but when I look back on my childhood, it was a clean your plate. You have to try it. You can't have dessert unless you've had what's on your plate, that sort of kind of behavior. Like how is how my parents raised me and what I'm seeing in the research now, like how are you educating your audience and the parents you work with to support healthful eating without making it a reward or a mandate? Right. Well, I think it's so tricky because our parents, they grew up raised by um, parents who who had to clean their plate. That was like a survival strategy for them. And, and so it makes sense that they would train their kids to clean their plate. At the same time, we see our parents really struggling. They go to a, they go to a party and there's cake and maybe they don't actually want to eat it, but they feel like they have to. I know I've been in that situation because certainly I think a lot of us were raised with, okay, in order to get your dessert, you have to eat your vegetables or dessert isn't around very much at all or rarely. And you so rarely see it that if you do see that cake, you absolutely should eat it. I don't even like cake and I've eaten more cake at birthday parties that I don't like where I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, this is not, if I were to pick something sweet to eat, this is not the thing. So I think we have an opportunity now knowing what we know about feeding kids and many of us living in environments where we have resources. Our kids do have resources. Now, of course, I speak for myself and those of us with resources because there are so many parents who don't have enough resources. Um, And so that that really complicates this. You can 
you know, I could stand up here, sit up here or whatever and be like, oh yeah, everybody should give their kids as much as they want about from anything. And you should eat two avocados a day if you want. That's just not realistic for many families. So I just always like to caveat what I say by, by trying to find that common ground of, we don't have to be bribing our kids. Um, we, we have this opportunity to, even if we, whether we can afford five avocados a day or, or none, we can still bring our kids to the table and say, this is what I can provide for you. You can choose whether to eat it or not. I can make anything a bribe. I'm also not going to get up and make you a special meal because my time is valuable too. And you're too. And you know, I don't have to have a kitchen for you, but we can find those places where we can really give kids the tools that they need to become competent eaters long-term and be able to listen. Am I hungry? Am I full? Um, can I exist in a place where somebody else sets the menu? You know, like, I don't want my child going over to someone else's house and being like, where's the special meal that you're going to make me? You know, there's all these dynamics that go into feeding kids. And when we can kind of give them a framework of understanding, hey, I'm a kid in this world. This is what I do have control over. And this is what I don't have control over. We do them a favor. And we also do ourselves a favor. Definitely. And I mean, I'm raising my hand, mom of a three and a half year old. They like control. They love control. And we want to give it to them, right? We want them to have that autonomy and that independence and confidence and all the things that we want for their adulthood. We just don't want them fighting about the meal. So how are you giving your kids control over their food choices or how much they eat? Like, where are you giving them the ability to press, you know, like have their hands on the steering wheel and press on the gas? Sure. So I think of it in this way. They're their own person. It's their body. So I don't really know if they're hungry or full. Now, I will just say, obviously, if you have a three-year-old, you know when they're hungry. (laughs) Whether or not they know, they're melting down. You see what's happening. And so um, sometimes we know when they're hungry. But we can't really ever tell when they're full. We don't know that. We can kind of get some clues. And you think about when you're uh, feeding a baby, you know, from the time you bring that baby home or you have that baby, you are taught, hey, they will spit out the nipple when they're full. They'll just stop eating. Don't keep trying to force feed them. Like they're just not going to eat anymore. Toddlers do that too. Kids do that too. But we, somewhere between infant and toddlerhood, we get a little confused and we're like, wait, but I know how much you need. And then we step in and we say, oh, and you need three more bites. Oh, and you need X, Y, Z. You need to do this. You need to eat all the food that I put on your plate, even though I put the food on your plate. And But I'm going to make sure you eat it all because I think this is what you need. And so we're kind of confusing our own information. We think we know what our kids need, but we don't know if they're hungry or full because we're not in their body. At the same time, we absolutely can have a better understanding than them about what should be on the table. A toddler, if you say, hey, what do you want for lunch? It all depends on what they know, but it's probably going to be one of two things, you know, whatever happens to be in their mind at any time or what they know is in the fridge. So we don't want toddlers to just be eating the same thing over and over and over. We do want them to have that exposure. We do want them to see that modeling. And it's, they are really too young to be calling the shots on what's on the table. 
Oh, I totally agree with you. And it's interesting because you bring up such a valid point for me around like quantity, just in the differences between my own two children, because Sebastian was such a ferocious eater, like the kid to this day will just lap me. <laughs> and, and I eat a lot, like I'm not eating small quantities and he's going back for seconds and thirds. And my younger one is like, no, no little hand up. Right. Like he's done. And, and, quite picky in comparison to his brother and very opinionated, but like that strong willed little like brute behavior. Like I know it's going to show up in his life in so many amazing ways Mm -hmm. outside of the table. That's just that like independence that comes from like being a second, figuring it out. It's um, been interesting to see, but I had to get out of my own head around like what is normal for Sebastian versus what is normal for Tashin because we're two totally different humans. And my experience Mm -hmm. with them eating has been drastically different. So just, I mean, just having that in my head and you saying that it's like, yes, I know that these are, these are key differentiators for kids. Now, knowing that we have to be the parent in the room when it comes to what they're eating. And you did mention not making special meals or concessions like in your family um, and with your clients, what is your advice when it comes to what improves like table time with kids when you're the one serving up the food and how do you conversate around, I'm not making another meal or this is the last chance you're getting food until dinner or, or things of that nature where sure, they might just decide I'm, I'm up from the table. I don't want you want what you're serving, but in five minutes, I'm going to want in the snack drawer. <laughs> yeah. And the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> like I am done for the day and that's it. Um, and you know, we joke about things like that, but, um, so all of my education at this point is definitely through our courses. So I actually don't work with parents one-on-one and I always like to just make that clear so that, um, parents don't get the calls and kind of understand what I'm, where I'm coming from, but I I'm living this day in and day out. Here's what I think is the most empowering thing you can say to your child that is empowering to you and to your child. And that is, you don't have to eat it. Really nicely, calmly. You don't have to get all worked up about it. It's just a fact. You don't have to eat it. And when you say you don't have to eat it to your two-year-old who has somehow gotten out of the out of the you know the high chair and they're standing there and they're waving their fork or something and they're yelling, you know, I want macaroni and cheese or whatever it is that they they think that they want in that moment, you could just say. You don't have to eat it. And there's not much of a power struggle that can happen after that because they know they don't have to eat the kale that's on the table or the sweet potato, whatever it is, they don't have to eat it. But also you're not saying, oh, and I'm going to get up and make you, you know, whatever you asked for. And so there's this balance when you say you don't have to eat it. You're just kind of saying, hey, the reality is you don't have to eat it. And you don't have to say, oh, and I'm not getting up and making you anything else. You can say that, but that you're like re-engaging that power struggle. But when you just say, hey, you don't have to eat it. And you continue to sit there and you continue to eat them. And then you engage them on another topic. What did you think about the fire truck? Um, (laughs) You know, or what color are the peas on the table or, you know, whatever it is that they're interested in, then you're maintaining a connection with your child. And you're getting them off their kind of, their, you're getting them off their game. You know, you're just saying, hey, I'm not going to have that fight with you. <laughs> yeah. 
So, well, let's fast forward because they don't eat. They, they, they have the power and they decide not to eat totally on board with that. And I love that because I do find that it's interesting when you give them the power, how often they like come back around and decide to try something Oh yeah, way faster than when you say like, you have to do something then they dig their heels in. But if they do decide not to eat it and you get up from the table and it's not a scheduled snack time or it's, you know, time for bed, how do, what conversations are you having around um, feeding them? And do you ever decide like, okay, yeah, you really haven't eaten and I'm going to feed you something before you go to sleep or before, like, I'm going to give you a snack. Yeah. So as a parent, it is also your job to have no idea what you're doing at any given time (laughs) and to try to use your judgment on the fly. Right. So I think this can be one of those situations. What we don't want to see is parents swooping in and giving rescue snacks all the time. Oh, you didn't eat your breakfast, but I know you're still hungry. So here's a snack. Um, Often what's happening is that how they're saying, I want X, Y, Z, and they know they're going to get it if they don't eat their dinner and they're hungry and they know that their parents don't want them hungry, right? And so you get into this situation and I don't have any judgment for any parent who gets into that situation. I think we all know how they got into that situation and why and how close any of us are to that situation. So there's certainly no judgment if you find yourself there, but if you're wanting your kid to branch out and you're wanting to kind of stop that and start getting them to eat more than the meal, you really have to stop the rescue snacks. While it's always okay to have an exception, you are the parent, you get to decide when your family needs an exception. And in fact, I actually made an exception two nights ago with my child who hadn't eaten well at dinner. We always have a bedtime snack because remember I have the kid who fell off the growth chart, right? Yeah. So for us, there's always a bedtime snack. And, but he was kind of sick. And so he didn't eat the bedtime snack. And then, you know, right before bed, he says, I'm hungry. Um, we almost never give a true, like you're in bed and now you're saying you're hungry. Almost yeah. never, almost never. But given all the extenuating circumstances, I said, yes. And guess what happened the next night? Mommy, I'm so hungry. I need a snack in bed, right? Kids want to know, hey, can I do this every single night? And the answer is no. And that, you know, the second night I was like, no, you're going to be fine. We're going to have a big breakfast in the morning. So there are these situations. It is perfectly okay, especially in the context of feeding your child four, five, six times a day, whatever your meal and snack schedule looks like. It is perfectly okay in that context to say, no, it's not snack time right now. We are going to have a big breakfast in the morning or we're going to have snack after nap. It's perfectly okay to say that. A lot of times parents get concerned that if they're saying no and their child is actually hungry, that they are somehow saying, I don't trust you to understand your hunger or I want to end your suffering in any way, shape or form at any time. And there's something wrong with the hunger sensation it's actually okay for us to occasionally experience like the feeling of being hungry, especially in the context. Like one time I had somebody say, you're advocating starving children. And I was like, actually, I'm like advocating feeding kids like every three hours. It's not true just because I said, it's okay. It's okay if you say, hey, I understand you're telling me that you're hungry and I understand that and that's okay. 
and you can be unhappy with me. And we're going to have, you know, we're going to have breakfast first thing in the morning. I mean, and usually kids do not wake up in the middle of the night. Has it happened every now and then? Yes. Is it going to happen routinely? No, especially if you're providing like a high fat dinner with plenty of protein and like that sort of thing. So we can kind of get kind of pulled into kids kind of exploring what is possible and what is not. And um, we don't have to. Yeah. I think it's really refreshing. We can get in the habit of, and kids will push the boundaries wherever they can, whenever they can. And yeah, yeah, it's, it is kind of interesting too, because even just thinking of, for me, like thinking about the breastfeeding journey and feeding in the middle of the night and knowing like you can perpetuate that behavior by continuing to feed at that 3 a.m. window, 2 a.m. window, because their body is going to produce ghrelin like a clock hormone that says like, you feed me at this time, I'm hungry at this time. And so I, you know, from my standpoint, Sebastian going to even preschool and having even more timed lunch and Mm -hmm. snack and being able to, to replicate those schedules at home, you see that your kids are not asking for snacks when they have those time snack time. Now, more than ever, it's really important that we're voting with our pocketbook. I think we can look at every decision we make as a way to support brands that are focused on our planet's health and sustainability. And in the last year and a half, I've really tried to clean out my closet. And that's when I found Viore. So Viore is an athleisure brand. And if you've been at school drop-off, I think one out of every four moms are wearing their performance joggers because they're really, really comfortable and they come in amazing colors. But the reason why I love Viore so much is because they're committed to offsetting 100% of their carbon footprint and they're focused on sustainable materials. So not only are they really high quality, beautiful, and super comfortable, but they're really focused on a healthy planet. So if you are looking for a way to gift uh, your family members something that they're going to love, but also support brands that are focused on sustainability, Viore should be a brand that's on your radar. And um, and if you haven't given their clothing a chance, I recommend their performance jogger and their daily legging. And if you have a hubby, their men's core short is awesome. But I also want to support you to do that. So you're going to receive 20% off your first order and free shipping for orders over $75 and you get free returns. So all you need to do is go to viore.com forward slash Kelly and you can see all of the amazing options they have. That's viore.com forward slash Kelly and viore is spelled V-U-O-R-I and dot com slash Kelly. And the deal you're getting is 20% off your first order and free shipping for orders over $75. And they have a free returns policy. So you can't lose by giving them a try and just feeling how soft and luxurious these sustainable clothing options are for your athleisure wear. It's not turning around and asking his preschool teacher for a snack in the middle of the day when it's not snack time. He's at story time, he's at circle time, he's on the playground. And just reminding myself like, he doesn't need to be eating all day. Like it's wrecking his oral microbiome. And it is also like just out of boredom maybe, or he needs to get outside. I'm just like, all right, everybody outside because they never ask me for snacks outside. But if they're in view of the kitchen, it's like being an adult. You're like, there's my pantry. There's my fridge. What's inside. Right. And even, I mean, even just keeping the food in the refrigerator or in the cupboards, um, you know, we don't have to have food laying out everywhere. And I just like, 
especially as the primary person feeding children in, in our house, I don't want to always be thinking about food. It's nice to walk through the kitchen and not have to think, oh my gosh, there's the orange that I'm going to have to cut up, you know, <laughs> all these things. Um, so it does, we do ourselves a favor when we can say, hey, the kitchen is closed. And And one point that I also like to make is children are allowed to be upset with your decision as a parent. I think a lot of times we think tantrums are bad. We think it is, it's my job to keep my child happy all the time. I 100% understand why we as parents want that. Tantrums are not fun coming from a parent who has seen my fair share of very, very explosive tantrums. I have amazingly opinionated and strong and creative children. And so they like to express their opinion, which I truly appreciate. But also I know how uncomfortable it can be as a parent having to listen to that, having to observe it, to try to make sure the child keeps themselves safe while they're freaking out. And it's okay though. It's, it's really our job to give them a safe space, to give them those boundaries, those healthy boundaries, and to say, you know, it's okay for you to be upset and I realize maybe we do have cookies in the in the cabinet, but they're not available right now. And you can be as upset as you want, but when I can be strong in that boundary and say, that's just not what's on the menu right now, or no, it's not snack time. You are allowed to be as unhappy as you want. I'm going to stick it out with you. I'm going to be here when you're ready. And then we're going to move on. And now that I have a six and eight-year-old, I can think back to those tantrums that I really wanted to prevent when my kids were really young. And I feel like the real answer is we have to develop a thicker skin because yeah. <laughs> the kids are going to have tantrums. That's what kids do. That's what two-year-olds do, three-year-olds, four-year-olds. It's so true. Especially I think about just our generation as parents, like really trying to like working so hard and then trying to provide for our kids. And you're like, you want them to have the best childhood, but the best childhood isn't a yes childhood. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't dictate a, their experience and existence. And if anything, like if we can be more strong-willed and flex that no muscle, like they're going to get used to hearing no and be able to deal with that. Like in the real world, it's hard to have hard boundaries in the beginning. And then once you do it, it's like anything else. You're like, oh, wow, this feels a lot better. And the response to my boundary is not like, why don't I try and see if I can have a, a bigger meltdown yeah. to see if you are a pushover, it's like, oh, okay, that's that's the deal now. And they they really don't know where the boundary is if we're constantly moving the boundary. So like my son, he knows 99.999% of the time I will say no if he says he's hungry after dinner. This particular night, he was truly hungry and sick. And I said yes, right? But that brought questions to his mind. Like, is that always the case? What if I ask for a snack uh, tomorrow night? Is that still going to work? The, it, you know, it kind of broke that boundary for him where he's thinking, well, I don't know what to expect now. That's why I tell parents, you know, when you say no to that bedtime snack, then kids kind of understand. They're like, oh, I was hungry after that. Nah, not sure that I want that again. And then next thing you know, they're eating dinner. I mean, my kids never have to eat the number of times they have not eaten dinner 
I don't know, I think it's like less than 10 times in their entire lives because they just know they don't have to eat. So there's no sense in like trying to create a power struggle over eating. And they also know, you know, I'm not gonna like bring in, you know, the, some amazing snack or, you know, we always have bedtime snack, but after that, it's kind of like, that's, that's it. Like if you didn't like snack, that's okay for you, but also that's too bad for you. Yeah. (laughs) Can we talk, speaking of snacks and meals and your bedtime snack, can we talk about like day in the life of you when it comes to like timing? Do you have like specific times in which you're feeding your children meals and snacks. I know you talk a lot about no pressure meals for kids and lowering stress around meals with for families. And so I'm curious if you follow a, a schedule or what you've seen work best. Yeah. So obviously the kids do have a schedule at school and I do find a lot of parents are kind of opposed to the schedule, but then I'm like, but daycare has a schedule. Preschool has a schedule. School has a schedule. Many workplaces have a schedule. Like we often, especially in the United States, have to live in a scheduled world. So if you are a scheduled person, that's perfectly fine. If you're a routine person, that's also fine. My kids get hungry in the morning at two very different times. One kid has to eat right away. The other kid really can't eat for at least an hour. And both of them have been like this from their infancy. So we have more of a feeding window in the morning where Breakfast is available from when I make it until they go to school. And and then that's it. Now, sometimes it gets a little annoying when they're like, oh, I didn't brush my teeth and they're still eating their breakfast. And, you know, my husband's in the car waiting to take them to school. Um, But in general, they kind of know the general general thing. Um, You know, on the weekends, it's a little less scheduled. It's a little more routine. We have that breakfast, we have the morning snack, we have the lunch, we have the afternoon snack, but they understand the eating routine, which is, hey, we have that, you know, we have the breakfast, lunch, dinner, our family has those snacks. As I get older, it gets a little bit more complicated because they do have that ability to make themselves a snack or get food out of just about anywhere. And so it becomes a little more tricky in terms of holding boundaries and not holding boundaries and finding ways for them to have independence. But in general, you know, having a routine where they understand this is when we eat is so helpful for so many reasons. Can we talk a little bit about those boundaries? I'm not there yet, but I know a lot of our listeners probably are. They have kids. I mean, I can think of just even my, like my nephews or, you know, kids that are six, eight, 10, they're big enough to open the pantry and help themselves. Like, how are you promoting maybe like whole food, healthful eating and, um, but also, you know, being in a normal household and letting your kids help themselves to a snack. Yeah. So I think trying to kind of set the boundaries is helpful. We have in the past made kind of a list of like, Hey, you can make yourself your own snack, but if you do, here's what you have to do. Like it has to have something that's colorful. It has to have an energy food, which for us is like some sort of carb. Um, because again, we have calorie issues, right? So you got to make sure there's some sort of a carb there. And then also it has to have a protein snack. Now, obviously my kids aren't going to go and like make themselves a steak or, or make themselves scrambled eggs in the middle of the day, which, you know, some kids might, but that's just not what they're going to do. They don't like to cook thus far for the most part. Um, So 
So, you know, here are the things that meet this criteria. Here's how you tell, here's how you tell if like a granola bar is a protein food. Is it a protein food or is it not a protein food? If it only has one gram of protein, guess what? That is not a protein food. So, so there's there's some basic nutrition information that we can empower kids with. And, um, and the other thing is you can find what works for your family. So maybe you set the snack out and then they can choose when they get home from school, when are they going to eat it? Or maybe you have a list of snacks that you've agreed upon with the kids and they can choose what day of the week to eat it. There's plenty of things that we can do. We can also make the snack for them and have it out on the table when they get home from school or whatever, you know, there's so much depends on the family and the situation and that sort of thing. So I think it can be really tricky even making recommendations around this because every family holds their boundaries in different ways and every family eats differently and every child has different nutritional needs and like all that sort of thing. But um, trying to find that balance as kids get older, giving them some independence while also, um, you know, making sure that you have some boundaries in place super important. Now, when it comes to like stress at mealtimes, what do you normally see as like the most stressful thing for parents when it comes to feeding their kids? And what are some strategies you have to lowering stress around mealtimes? Yeah. So to me, one of the biggest stressors is a child not eating, not (laughs) eating a food or not eating several foods. That is the biggest thing. So we have we have a couple of occupational therapists, a psychologist, a pediatrician, and eating disorder specialists, and all of us, what we all find is that it's really this this like standoff between the parents thinking they know exactly what the kid should be eating and the kid being like, no, (laughs) I am in charge of myself, right? This causes so much stress, just enormous amounts of stress. In fact, so much stress that what so I, when I started Kids Eating Color, I developed a picky eating course and we were, you know, now those parents are dealing with like really stressful situations around picky eating, but we start off with like reducing stress and it was, it's been so successful, like that point and really giving parents tools around that point of what is your job here? It's actually not to force feed your child to like hold their nose and make them eat food. And when we give parents training around that, then all of a sudden parents are like, oh my gosh, my life has changed because now I have less stress. And that's actually where our new mini course came from, um, mealtime de-stress, because it's really like, you don't have to take an entire picky eating course if your kid isn't a picky eater. But if your kid is a picky eater, that doesn't mean you're not stressed out at mealtime. You know, you may not have a picky eater and you're still like stressed out the nose because you're constantly having these power struggles. Um, And that's where that really came from because our entire expert team and most of us, our parents, we just see it. We all see it, whether it's me seeing stuff on Instagram or parents in their practices, you know, these experts in their practices seeing this over and over we just really have to step back and say, look, I don't know. I don't know what's going on inside my kid's body. I just can't feel it. They're the only one who can feel it. And so I have to come to a place where I can find that balance. Yeah, definitely. When it comes to kids like refusing multiple food groups, because that is very stressful. It wasn't something I experienced mm-hmm. with Sebastian and it, it has been something I was experienced with Tasha. And I will say to your point on stress, like 
we, I, I don't know if I mentioned, I'm renting my in-laws house, which means I have like access to per- certain parts of this house and we're mm-hmm. eating around a kitchen island, which is stressful and just the like actual seating arrangement of not having a table and having everyone seated. And I noticed mm-hmm. like this from being in our apartment in LA with Sebastian, sitting down with him at his eye level versus like a change in elevation of being over Tasha and him being in a high chair and being not like totally a part of the island at the same experience. I was like, this needs to end. (laughs) Like we need to open a card table. We all need to like pull up to the same, same like level playing field here because it's like a power struggle, even in our elevations of you will eat this, you will, you know? And so it's, I, I can only imagine how that was for me personally. I felt like putting things in front of him, I knew he would eat, you know, kids love, certain kids love broccoli. That's like a, that's like a wind vegetable sometimes for parents and he loved it. So I was like, we're, we're bringing a lot of broccoli in and we're creating that variety around the broccoli. But how do you coach parents when it comes to like putting on, do they put something on their plate that kids like, or like, how do you de-stress when you're like, I just want my kid to eat and you don't want them to get up hungry. Right. Yeah. It's really hard. Sometimes, I mean, when you have an extreme picky eater, sometimes you really have to meet your child where they're at. There are some philosophies out there about like basically starving your kid into eating what you want them to eat. And I just can't get behind it. And neither can like, oh, wait, man. Where we're like, Hey, I am only going to offer you the quote, healthy options, whatever you think those are. As a parent, I don't, you know, I don't know. Every family is going to have a different version of that. But, and yeah, you might be able to starve your kid into eating. But what you've also done is you've got some long-term issues for your child. And it often backfires in some mental health way or, or, or even their future food choices. So I never recommend doing that. Um, some parents find that all of a sudden they're in a situation where their child only ate five foods. Well, guess what? One of the options on that table better be one of those five foods because you do have to make sure that your child has food to eat. And when you have a young child and they start to drop foods off their list, this can be normal, but when they start to really drop foods off their list and they never pick them back up, that's really a red flag that you do have a child who's you know, moving toward the extreme picky eating side. And that's when you would need more advanced tools. But otherwise, making sure that there's something that your child feels comfortable with and then adding other foods around it is so helpful. Like you mentioned before, the exposure, the modeling, so powerful, probably the most powerful things. Um, That said, it's not gonna be enough for all kids. And also you might have a child who freaks out if there is a pee on their plate and they don't like peas. I mean, who knows what they think it is? I, I remember the first time I served little M1 uh, asparagus. Oh my gosh. He must have thought it was alive or like a bug or something because he it was just like a top and he just started hitting it on his high chair. Like, and it, of course it would bounce around because it's a high chair tray, right? And so it's bouncing around and he's like whacking it like it's alive. And I was like, oh, I don't like, I don't think this is how we want this food exposure to go. Needless to say, he did not eat it. Um, But I think we don't always know from our kids' perspective what they're experiencing. You know, he might've thought it was a bug and in general, our families doesn't eat bugs. And so for him, this was like, wait a second, this isn't for me. 
Yeah. Uh, so we got to meet our kids where they're at, but also continuing to expose them. It doesn't mean you're only going to serve your child broccoli because the more you don't serve all the other foods, the more they become foreign, the more your child becomes afraid of them and increases anxiety. Anxiety at mealtime is a big, a big, I mean, that just causes a lot of issues. How can you start to identify anxiety at mealtimes with your kids or is it with the parents as well? Yeah. I mean, you could probably identify your own anxiety, but in your child, if they're crying, if they're trying to get away from the table, if they, um, if they're not eating, you know, if they are picky, if something is really challenging them, they might not eat it and they may not have the words to really tell you what's going on in their body, but you'll notice maybe they're taking tiny little nibbles. Maybe they don't want to touch it. Maybe they don't want to touching other foods. All these can kind of be signs of anxiety. And often picky eaters will have anxiety, but you'll see them as like strange behaviors. Like parents often say, oh, my child is eating so slowly. Well, and this was a huge conversation on, on our team. Like what causes slow eating? And we came up the, you know, I want to say there's like six eight experts and I, and there was like 25 reasons for slow eating. And so we don't know why, but one of the reasons is they're anxious and they just want to take those tiny little nibbles because that feels safer to them. Or, you know, so there's many things that can kind of make you think, oh, there might be anxiety here, but usually picky eating, it has a connection to anxiety in some ways. So interesting to just have these like behaviors on in our brains as parents to be able to identify that and just notice like Mm -hmm. something's not jiving and how do I work my way through it? Obviously you have some amazing courses, um, but you know, when it is important to seek out special help, for example, behaviors and food behaviors around kids is one part of the battle, right? And like the, the power struggle and all of that, but what, what are we doing to ensure we're serving up? Um, nutrient-dense meals to our kids? Like, do you have go-to meals you recommend for busy families or ways that you recommend we prepare things in our fridge? Are you a meal prep planner person? Like, how do you roll and what do you recommend for busy parents? I mean, if if you're a meal prep parent, kudos. I feel like that is an awesome solution for many families. I'm just not a meal prep person. (laughs) The more simple, the better. I know for my struggle with making specific meal recommendations is that I don't know what your life is like. I don't know how important cooking is to you. Maybe it's really important. Maybe your family's help is at the top of your list. If so, that's awesome. And you can spend more time cooking and that's what you want to do. And that's what's important to you. But I don't know if you just got laid off or if you lost a loved one or if uh, you just had to move across the, you know, across the world. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what your capacity is. I don't know if you're really struggling with your mental health. And when we kind of pulled up one way of eating as, you know, this is the best way of eating. I think we really disadvantage all the other parents who are living this totally different world. You know, I had postpartum depression, was I making fancy meals? I had, I don't know, probably not. No way. I, I think there were some nights of like canned marinara sauce with some sort of pasta. And who knows if there was even anything else? I don't even know, right? But 
we did get the family fed at that time. And that's what mattered. Like I always remind parents, like we usually eat eggs for dinner, like, you know, like once a week, right? Because it's fast. It's easy. You can make them in a couple of different ways. The kids will eat them and you got something on the table. You got a good protein on the table. You can add in some other colors or whatever, something easy. And, and it works for a lot of families. I always remind families that it's faster than fast food because putting the kids in the car and dealing with the kids in the car and getting home from the place automatically adds, you know, twice the time that it would take to make eggs. Um, and really it can only be one pan, right? So it's not that bad. Today's podcast is sponsored by Element, my favorite electrolyte drink. Element was developed by my friend Rob Wolf. After he realized that a large group of people were probably living with electrolyte deficiencies and or imbalances. Electrolyte deficiency can be the cause of headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness. And with the surge of low-carb, paleo, keto, and whole food diets, the body excretes more electrolytes at an increased rate, increasing the chances that you may have an electrolyte deficiency and need to supplement. Since the majority of sodium in our diet comes from processed foods, cleaning up your diet, fasting, or an increase in workouts where you sweat a lot can all cause this imbalance. The first time I drank Element, I felt immediately more alert and hydrated. Literally, like within minutes of drinking Element, and I've been drinking it ever since. They supported my hydration through my pregnancy with Toshin, and they completely rocked my milk supply. Meaning, yeah, I'm like, there's milk everywhere. (laughs) I had always salted my food, but in hindsight, I know I had an electrolyte imbalance. If you're listening and you think, this could be me too, Rob is hooking my listeners up with a free sample pack. All you have to do is pay for shipping. And if you're in the United States, that means it's only five bucks. You can head to drinkelement.com forward slash Kelly to snag the deal. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash K-E-L-L-Y to snag that free sample pack. All you have to do is pay for shipping and it's totally worth it. Go snag it. But, um, you know, I think figuring out for yourself what your one or two like emergency meals are that you're going to make that are really quick for you is great. And then also just kind of thinking in terms of what is my formula for creating meal? What are, you know, I'm going to add some color to my plate. I'm going to have a protein food there. I'm going to have, you know, some sort of starchy food if that works for my family. Whatever it is, you have that balanced option of you have that kind of picture in your mind of this is what it looks like to have some balance on my plate. Maybe not all meals fit this balance and that's okay. Like you're still a good parent. You're still doing great. Um, But a lot of the times it does because I have that in my mind as something that I kind of shoot for. Right. You have that, just like that North star focal point and just at least Mm -hmm. having that, like, even if we, even if we just like make it one or two steps towards it. It's like, all right, it's not about perfection. It's just about having a general idea of what might work for ourselves or our family. What happens when kids have different, what like different tastes and you're navigating that? Like you just gave the egg example, not to be a short order cook, but how much variation is happening or should be happening in the home? Well, I mean, no, short order cooking has to be like a hard no. That said, you do have to consider what your child is comfortable with. Your child will not eat eggs. And I have one child who he's like iffy, right? 
but recently he was like, I don't like eggs. And I was like, that's not allowed in this house. I mean, that's what I thought in my mind. Cause I was like, well, then you learn how to cook an emergency meal because you know, that's not going to work for me, but he will eat what I call high protein French toast, which is a very egg heavy whole grain French toast. He will eat that just fine. And so I have figured out ways to just kind of work around it where I'm like, okay, I know this isn't going to work for him, but maybe this is, and I'll add that onto the meal. Um, Making sure your child has a food that they feel comfortable with at the table at all times is essential. Otherwise, they're not going to feel safe. You're going to increase their anxiety. You're going to increase their desire to say, no way, I'm not going to eat anything. But once you get your child eating on that food that they do like, whether it is that broccoli or like whatever that food is that they are enjoying right now, when that is there, then they feel comfortable. They start eating and they're like, eh, you know, maybe that egg's not so bad after all. I'm hungry. And, you know, even my, my six-year-old, who knows? He knows I do not get up and add on to meals unless... I was cruel and forgot some sort of safe food, which I did recently. I was like, that was not fair that I made this entire dish. And I know that is not going to feel safe for him. So that was the one time that I did get up and got something else. But like, if you're, if you're providing that safe food for them, it is not your job to then like be getting up and down from the table. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to your time or your mental or emotional. Like, So to, to be managing that instead you can just say, okay, this is what's on the table. This is how it works. Kids might continue to ask and that's fine. I mean, I ask for things all the time and sometimes I get them and sometimes I don't. Um, It's totally fine for them to ask, but also just kind of set the precedent. I'm not going to get up. So those boundaries again, they're coming, they're coming back. Uh, Always. (laughs) So what about like discussing nutrition with your kids? I mean, all I do is I want to say like I squawk at Chris all day long, my husband. I'm like, you know, that's really good. That's great for you because of X, Y. I'm so proud of you. Like, and, and, you know, having kids now, I'm like, okay, okay. What am I doing in regards? You know, I don't want them to have labels around foods, but I also want them to be like motivated or excited about different tastes and variety and all of that. Like, what have you seen and how are you communicating the nutrition that's present in your children's food to them, or are you? Yes, I'm a huge fan of educating our children, but not in the way that most people think of it. The preschool activities that's kind of like sweeping through all the preschools is like circle the healthy foods, which, oh my gosh, don't get me started on the circle of the healthy foods activity. It's not doing anyone any favors from preschool on. So. If you've got that in your house, just just turn it into a coloring sheet and you know they can't read anyway. So yeah. don't tell them what it says. But here's here's the thing. I think we sell our kids short when we don't provide them with any information or when we provide them with black and white unhelpful information. Like this is healthy, this is unhealthy, this is good, this is bad, this is a growing food, this is a slow food. There's all sorts of things that we want to say to kids, but we don't realize we've been so influenced by diet culture, by extreme health culture. We don't realize how much of this is coming straight to us from people being really, really against people in different size bodies, right? We want 
Um, you know, there's people out there like, hey, we want everybody to look exactly the same and we want that to be thin. People come in all shapes and sizes. And all you have to do is look at a child growth chart to understand that. Like there's a whole, there's a whole growth curve there. Yeah. Kids come in all different shapes and sizes. It's not our job to make our kids a certain size or shape. And what we're not realizing is those messages are coming to us and we are then feeding them to our kids starting with, hey, this is healthy and this is not um, healthy. I was just talking to a woman that I met on Instagram. She goes by the Black Nutritionist. And she's like, "In my son is going to preschool and he's coming back and they're giving them this, this sheet that says healthy and unhealthy. My cultural foods are listed as unhealthy in this because we eat fried chicken. Like, I'm sorry, fried chicken is fried chicken. It's not a good food or a bad food. In fact, it is a very good food. That is her cultural food. And nobody should be, he shouldn't be going to school and learning that his cultural food is a bad food. That's, it's just not okay. Right. (laughs) And along with that is the idea that sugar is poison. And I know like so many people are like, oh, but it is, or like this or that, the other thing, like, look, you have a child with diabetes, they have type one diabetes, they were born with it, whatever it is. Sugar can literally be the thing that saves their life. We have become very extreme with our messaging around, around sugar and kids, especially young kids, they cannot understand the nuance. They can't understand the nuance. So all of a sudden, if they go to school and their teacher gives them a piece of candy and they eat that piece of candy and they learn that it's poison, then all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, it's poison or, and more preschool teachers than I would like to have this story have told me they have seen a child go to another child and say, Hey, your mom gave you poison in your lunch. She's trying to poison you because they saw the child has a cookie. Well, they don't know. Like, why does that child have that cookie? Is that child an extreme picky eater? Is this a food that's safe for him? We don't understand what is behind that cookie, nor do we understand what is behind the child who thinks it's poison. But what I do understand is we are giving children information that is then being used to scare other people, to disenfranchise other people, to even be, you know, prejudiced against other children. We can't, this has to stop. Um, It's also not accurate. Like when people say, oh, I like to call it a growing food. Any food will help you grow. (laughs) It's just like, this is a fact. If it has energy, it can help a a child grow. So we got to get away from this and instead provide them with really useful evidence-based information. When I went to my child's preschool, I developed a very simple rubric, which is red foods help your heart. This is via lycopene, but am I going to like get into that with my kids? No, I'm not. I'm going to simplify it because I'm talking to a three-year-old. Orange foods help you see in the dark. This is by vitamin A. So we start with this and, you know, I have the whole chart on the website and all that stuff, or you can find the how to talk stuff, but we can give kids simple, accurate, useful bits of nutrition information. I took my kids when they were probably three and five to the pool and maybe four and six. And I brought some watermelon, I brought some carrots and, you know, some other stuff. And they're sitting at a table eating uh, carrots and watermelon. And another boy from another table came over and he said, ew, carrots, I don't like carrots. And my older son looked at him and he's like, huh, carrots help me see in the dark. So that's why I eat them. And all of a sudden, all three of them were eating tons of carrots. 
but he actually had some useful information to share. And it was accurate. Like, yes, carrots aren't going to improve your eyesight. We know that's a myth, but we do know that absolutely the, the orange color in there is what is going to give you your night vision. So, um, you know, and these messages can go from anywhere from how to talk about cupcakes to how to talk about protein to how to talk about bread, you know, eggs, you name the food, we can provide an, an age-appropriate way to talk to children that is going to help them long-term. Now they know they're going to be eating those orange foods because they help them see in the dark. I just had a conversation with my six-year-old about kale, which my kids love and, you know, no pressure to any parent who can't get their kids to eat kale. I'm always like, yeah, I got lucky on this one. Add a little salt is the answer to that. But I said, oh, you know, well, you know, we somehow they got it in their mind that, that kale makes them stronger, which I'm, I didn't give them that message. Somehow they got it. And I'm like, well, you know, green foods do help you fight off sickness and this sort of thing. But I was like, did you know they also help you see in the dark? And he was like, how? Because he has this, you know, he's like, orange foods help you. They're not orange. Right, exactly. I was like, well, you know, when the leaves turn orange in the fall, they lost their green and now you can see their orange. And the same is true in kale. And he was like, oh my gosh, it was like mind blowing. I was like, they have, you know, they got the beta carotene in them. And these sorts of interesting bits of information are so useful because you're telling your kids from the very earliest foods do something in your body. I don't want you to know if it's healthy. What does that even mean? It doesn't mean anything. What I do want you to know is this food is going to do something in your body. And as you get older and have some curiosity, I'm going to build on that until you have as much knowledge as you want. I don't expect you to become a dietitian too. Maybe my kids will want to, maybe not. Probably not after living with me for 18 years. (laughs) I got enough of that. Thank you. But they're going to get to the end and they're going to be like, yeah, I know. I'm going to be eating chicken because it does help my muscles. So it's, you know, I got to be eating the protein foods. I got to be eating this. I know why I'm eating green foods. I know why I'm eating red foods. And, you know, whether they choose to eat those, that's up to them. But at least they have some compassionate, accurate, fact-based information to carry with them. Long answer for a short question. No, I like, I love when guests get on a soapbox about something they're passionate about. And I think this is... This is something that I'm really excited about. Just knowing, obviously knowing the nutrition information and wanting people to just feel empowered. Like the optimist in me is like, how do I get my clients to feel empowered to eat foods that nourish them or that do something that make them feel good in their body, right? And like, that's what we want for our kids too, but we don't want prejudice. We don't want kids at the pool pointing at your kids saying like, ew, and like getting that in their head that it's not good for them or for, you know, the black nutritionist son to feel like the food that, that he's being fed at home is not good for him. Like horrible. Like you don't, you don't need the negativity and the shame and the guilt. Like you're going to grow up the magazines you read, the TV, all of that's going to let you create that in your own life later. Like these children should not be feeling that way, but in, you know, what you're doing is you're empowering them with the tools to get excited about food and explore it and stand up for their choices, which I think is so empowering and really exciting. And I think one of the refreshing reasons and and one of the reasons why I follow along with you, because you've done a really great job of supporting, especially parents who maybe had no interest in nutrition, have that conversation openly with their kids. Right. I mean, there's just so many people have 
have different places that they're coming from. I mean, some parents are like, hey, nutrition is not that important to me. Okay, that's, that's double your choice. I, you know, and other parents are like, it's important to me, but also I need to make sure that I keep my job so that I can support my family. Um, and so I'm going to spend less time on cooking and other families are like, Hey, nutrition is my thing. And so I think we can all come together around some things like, Hey, let's just agree that we're not going to be bashing each other's food choices. (laughs) I would love for that to be the common thing. It's like, Hey, great job. I don't care if it all came straight out of a cupboard and it's all shelf stable in a package. Great job. You're feeding your kid. I don't care if also you have spent an hour making their lunch and it's all fresh and it never touched a processed, you know, thing at all. That's also awesome. We don't have to be, you know, the bashing goes always, it goes always. And it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. I've been having this conversation a little bit over and over again, because I feel like I'm in this sticky situation where my platform and my books and my like the last decade of my life has been spent taking research that I've seen coming through and making it accessible to my audience or breaking down the studies or whatever it is. And it's interesting because there are people that will have opinions around food based on research and science. And I feel like I'm pretty easygoing in my life. Like the last thing I would want to do is create food anxiety or stress for someone. But at the same time, we're like, I want to empower people to vote with their pocketbooks for the greater good. And I want it's nutrition is such a sticky, it's a sticky industry. And especially now with the booming of maybe I want to say processed foods in, in engineered foods, not processed foods in the traditionally processed way where we think like packaged shelf-stable foods. I mean, like the creation of new foods from different things that look like other things, like, and what people deem as quote unquote healthy or not healthy. It's an interesting time to be in the nutrition space because the things that are doing real, really well on social are bashing of foods and reels and the things that people, the fear mongering where people are like, that's going to kill me and my kids. Oh my God. You know, (laughs) my my new favorite is if you don't wean your baby this way, your baby will be a picky eater forever. Or if you do wean your baby this way, they will never be picky. I'm like, first of all, the evidence doesn't say anything like that. And second of all, that's ridiculous. (laughs) It's it's just too much. Like we have to step outside of this as parents and we have to kind of use our common sense and, and say what I, what, what we at Kids Eating Color like to say is your best is good. Not your best is good enough. Because often we say, well, my best is good enough. And and what we're saying is I've compromised because we're measuring ourselves against every other person's best practice. And, you know, I have my master's in public health. I know so many best practices, so many best practices that like put you in bed because you're like, I can't, I cannot possibly follow all the best practices. Like when you're pregnant and they're like, oh, here's your list of things to do. And you're like, wait a second, that like, I added it up one time. I was like, that's six hours a day of self-care, not including cooking time. Like, what am I supposed to work? Because I do have to pay the rent, you know? Right. So I think we often are measuring ourselves against somebody else's priorities, somebody else's best. And we're selling ourselves short. And we're saying, my best is good enough. This is good enough for my kid. This is good enough. Nope. If you're making this decision based on your family situation, this is good. Your best is good. 
And we in the nutrition space where I'm like, oh yeah, like nutrition is important and it does have an effect on kids and it, it can be empowering. It can be disempowering, but we always have to remember, we don't know what's going on in people's lives that maybe, you know, feeding their child in, you know, some sort of balanced meal is actually not the most important thing. And it's hard for us to, for us who care about health and and wellness and this sort of thing, it's hard for us to swallow that pill. We're like, no, everybody should think it's the most important thing. I'm like, but they don't. <laughs> and that's actually okay. It's okay for that to be true. And it's also okay for us to say, um, yeah, I'm going to meet people where they're at. So we take a harm reduction approach, which means I'm going to take you wherever you're at. I'm going to say, hey, you're doing great. End of story. I'm not going to try to say you're not doing great. But if you're saying, hey, you know, I have a picky kid and that's bothering me and I want that to get better. Hey, I'm going to serve you up the tools. And when you have capacity, you're going to take that tool and you're going to use it in the way that's best for your family. Same with nutrition. I'm not going to bash you over the head with nutrition information because what is the point of that? Talk about stress. You know, we talk about wellness and what we don't consider is the more we put forth these best messages the more stress that we're causing so many people. And we know that stress is one of the worst things that we can do for our health. Um, You know, I'm not that I'm doing great at that, but like we, you know, we're causing stress for other people by saying, Hey, this is the best practice. This is the best. This is the best. This is best. We're constantly hearing these messages. We're just not doing anybody any favors. And also we're overconfident in our ability to understand quote, the research. Like, well, I read the latest study. Well, that's not how research works. Research is based on a, it's based on a, like a body of evidence and nutrition science is a baby science. It hasn't been around that long. So we have to be humble in kind of how we're approaching things and how we're talking about them. I love that. It's, it's so true. And one of the hardest sciences to study because it's totally different human beings and they're eating behaviors. So, so So, yeah, so wonderful to have you on the show today, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I'd love for you to, you, you do meet your audience where they're at. I would love for you to just share a little bit about the courses that you do offer and the education that you offer your community. Sure. So kidsingcolor.com is the place where you can find it. There's a um, there's a free screener tool so you can kind of say, hey, do I have a really picky eater? Is this a problem or is it not? There's, um, you know, all the courses are there, really how to reduce mealtime stress and and also the ones to like really give you kind of in-depth expert advice on, on reducing picky eating. But that's where you're going to find all the, the recipes and the blogs and the, um, you know, all that fun stuff. That's that. And of course, if you are into social media and you want to find us on social, we're all over social and uh, you can get your daily dose of kids eating color there. Definitely go follow kids eating color. I will put links to your courses and your website on the blog. It was so nice to have you. Thank you for donating your time to educate my audience. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you for listening to Be Well by Kelly. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Learn more at bewellbykelly.com and follow me on Instagram at bewellbykelly. I would love if you picked up my books, Body Love and Body Love Every Day. They're sold on Amazon and at all major booksellers. 